The views expressed in our Chop Talk podcast are those of the individual participants only and do not necessarily express the views of the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity or its chapters or members. Our Chop Talk podcasts are intended to be as open and honest with our members as possible, but we acknowledge that certain topics may be sensitive, graphic, or emotionally challenging. Please use your own discretion to avoid any material that you may find potentially painful or difficult. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. So, uh, Jaron, once again, with his wardrobe, has uh, taken the cake once more. What did he do today? Uh, so he came in, white shirt, handprints all over it. I know what he was going for. Um, he's He wore this when he was in college. His, these hands don't haze shirt. Um, <laughs> so he, I, I imagine that our topic is on hazing today. Am I correct? Of course. Of course it is. Look at Jaron. Once again, he's a, a stellar representative of our topics. So Very creative. Yeah. So we have a, uh, two special guests today. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you want to jump into it? Of course. Let's do it. And welcome back to the Chop Talk podcast. My name is Michael Covert, joined as always by the lovely Lindsay Hernowich. Hey, everyone. And the assistant to the executive producer, Jaron Wilt. How are we doing? Um, we're also joined by two special guests, Alyssa Gillis, and uh, Lindsay's going to introduce our next guest. So we've actually got Boomer on here with us to sort of talk about the legal portion of hazing. So I'll let him sort of talk a little bit about his background, and then we'll regroup. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I want to start by just giving a couple caveats. First off, the first like 12 people they asked to do this were tied up. So everyone got, got stuck with the, with the, somebody coming out of the bullpen. Um, I, I, but I do appreciate being here. I have a, uh, a little bit of background in Greek life. I, I started as an assistant dean of students at my alma mater at the University of Kentucky back in 2007. I had a cup of coffee there and then got picked up by my organization, Sigma Alpha Epsilon, to be a regional director. I was that for a couple of years in COO and spent my last five and a half years of my 10-year tour of duty there as CEO of SAE. And then um, spent the previous two years with the NIC, the last year being the chief legislative officer um, who dealt mainly with these hazing issues or hazing laws. Um, so, I, I, you know, I wasn't my wife's first choice. I'm sure I wasn't Lambda Kai's first choice, but it's worked out well with her. And so hopefully I, I, uh, do you guys proud today too, but I appreciate being here. Yeah. Thank you for coming. We're excited to have you here to sort of talk about more of the legal stuff that we don't deal with, you know, Mike and I don't deal with on an everyday basis at all. And, and for the record, I'm, I think that was a joke about not being my wife's first choice, <laughs> but, um, um, I do, I do really think this is a great topic to talk about. And while I always try to be sarcastic and funny, I will, I will work on my accent to make sure people understand me. I don't sound like a, a dumb redneck. And then I will work on my, uh, I will try to be serious as well this, this time. So, uh, you guys maybe ask me back in the future. Well, with introductions underway, let's, uh, let's jump right into the topic. Yeah. So we're going to have Alyssa actually talk to us sort of on the big picture of all of this and what it means for Lambda Chi. So in loose terms, can you define what hazing is and what it means for Lambda Chi Alpha? I'm going to do one better, but I'm going to read it directly from the Constat and Ooh. give the specific code reference and page <laughs> number. Nice. Um, so specifically in code 4-8, Under hazing of members on page 31 of the 44th edition of the Constitution and Statutory Code of Lambda Chi Alpha, 
Hazing is defined as any action taken or situation created intentionally to produce physical discomfort or mental discomfort by embarrassment, harassment, or ridicule. Boom. Perfect. You know, I think we have talked a lot on this podcast about hazing, and that's the first time I think that we've really put it into words of what Lambda Chi Alpha has stated hazing is. So we've read the definition. I know there's been a lot of media and, and different coverages about hazing and things going on. Um, I know there's been a lot of updates to to definition of hazing at the state level and kind of really um, where uh, state to state differs and, and really what that means. And so uh, let's jump into like maybe what changes have happened recently in, in the realm of hazing at the state level. Yeah. So I think, Boomer, this is where we lean on you. Um, sure. This summer, we... We got noticed that there were some pretty significant updates uh, made to laws in specifically Florida and Louisiana. Um, so can you give us a little bit of background on what you know about that and kind of how it impacts, you know, our groups within those states? Sure, absolutely. Also in Texas in there as well. Yep. Um, they signed their new state law in June, uh, June 15th of 2019. Um, so I think those three states are, are perfect ones to to start in. Uh, I was involved with the, in about 15 states to varying degrees last year um, in, in as far as uh, updating state hazing laws. Um, I think those three are the, are the are the most prominent ones, most relevant ones. So with Texas, uh, I was heavily involved and lobbied multiple times in Texas uh, to help affect their their law. And this law went into effect this past September 1st. Um, and I, you know, can provide y'all with links if you want to email links out to each state law. I think one thing just to keep in mind as we go through the states is that each state is different and the answer is generally it depends. So uh, your best bet is to talk to someone in Texas after you review the law in its entirety or, uh, yourself. I think that's the best way to start if you have an interest in it. Texas actually had a pretty good hazing law on the books. Um, but there some of the significant changes um, that were included is coerced alcohol consumption is now included in the definition of hazing. And I think that's important and relevant because oftentimes when there was uh, attempted prosecutions of hazing, the defense always said, well, we didn't make him do it, right? Or we didn't make her do it. We didn't make the individual do it. Uh, but that that may or may not be true on a technicality, but was there an environment there that encouraged the probable new member to consume alcohol, really anything, but alcohol most uh, generally? Was there an environment there that coerced them to do it? Did they say, was there sort of, well, you don't have to do this wink, wink, but you need to do this because everybody else did, right? That coercion is, is important. Uh, and that was included in their hazing definition in Texas. Um, there, um, there's essentially good smelt, good Samaritan policies included. Um, the, but there is also now language that can make you immune from civil liability if you act under certain conditions, which is a positive for, uh, in this case, the Lamb Chi Alpha members to do the right thing and call 911 and get help, right? Because that's really what we want in all these cases. I mean, how many lives would be saved if someone would just pick up the phone and make the call, but they don't for whatever reason. And Texas is trying to eliminate 
people uh, in, eliminating barriers for people doing that. So that's a good thing. Definitely. I guess um, the one, one thing too that I, I quickly want to uh, comment on, um, and this is from personal experience as well, is I think people believe hazing is something that is normally forced upon somebody else. But I, I, from my experience, it just seems like sometimes hazing can be voluntary. Like people may go into college wanting to be hazed and uh, they see this on, on these social media sites like TFM and, and Twitter and they, they start seeing all of these things. And so it almost becomes that expectation of what they are getting out of uh, a college experience or, or things like that. So I think you made a really good point of like, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, it still falls under that definition. Right. Right. And I think, I, I don't, I think that's a great point. Um, and I think that's, again, part of the way defenses were used in the past to say, well, you know, we didn't make them or they wanted to do it. How am I to blame? They wanted to do it. What, you know, uh, you shouldn't be able to give consent to be hazed. And um, so that's, that's why Texas did what they did. So that's a, that's a great point. I think, Lastly, what I'll mention, and I think Lambda Chi, does Lambda Chi specifically have any sort of Good Samaritan policy? We currently do not know. Right. That might be uh, something to consider, right? Um, I know many of the other men's groups have, have moved towards some variation of a Good Samaritan policy uh, uh, because we're just trying to, what Texas was trying to do and what we, what I, you know, down the line and way back in the back was trying to do twofold. One, call 911 or get help if somebody gets hurt. And then the last point I'll talk about with the Texas law is this transparency piece. This is really big uh, for parents. And uh, one of the, the biggest honors I've had professionally and even personally, I wish I never had. That may sound weird, but one of the biggest honors that I've had is, is getting to know um, par- a group of the parents in anti-hazing coalition Mainly, and then there's more than this, but mainly the Groovers from Louisiana, the Piazzas from Pennsylvania, and Rich Bram from, from who currently lives in New York. Um, the Groovers live in Atlanta, but uh, their son Max went to LSU. Um, I wish I never got them. I wish I never met them. I wish I never had to meet them. I wish that we would pass each other in in a shopping mall and not think twice about it. Uh, but unfortunately, circumstances brought us together. But getting to know them on a personal level. Uh, changed my outlook on a lot of things, changed my on life and, and fraternity, but I certainly believe made me a better person and a, and, a, and a better, hopefully a better fraternity man. Like I said, despite the fact that I never, I wish I never had to meet them, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all lost their sons to hazing and to them, transparency is a big issue and one that I am, and 100% behind as it relates to universities specifically. And this last point was, was one they really pushed for both on a state level and federal level, but it said that host institutions are now required to post adjudicated hazing related offenses on their website. Uh, I believe it's no later than 30 days after guilt has been determined and it must stay on the website for three years. And this, this is important for any parent. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, my girls aren't quite at the college age yet, although somehow uh, we have a good friend who is exec at a sorority and she has inundated my daughters with her sorority sweatshirts and stuff. So they're they're already uh, getting groomed. But, um, you know, it's good to have the ability to get on a website and see the, the relative recent conduct history 
of an organization that your child might join. And you might make a different decision if that information is available on that university's website. So Texas mm-hmm. is saying that, that their universities must do this now. Well, I think that's a great idea, too, because it helps the individual who's looking at these organizations make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully those pages are not buried under a bunch of links on a website. But I think it's something if you're really committed to wanting to join an organization that you should know what they're about and, and, and really what the culture is, because during the recruitment process, a lot of those things don't really come out because they put on this this fake persona or or whatever that to, to get you to join. But once you're in, um, that's when a lot of these things start coming out. So it gives you kind of that perspective ahead of time uh, so you can make that educated decision and join the organization that fits the values that you want and not the values that they you think they have. Yeah, this would... is becoming more common mm-hmm. on most of our um, host institution campuses. Um, we've even had a campus go as far as, you know, mid-incident or incident investigation, rather. Um, We have had to help a chapter create some type of notification during the recruitment process that they actually hand to each P&M as they come through. Um, So this is something that is definitely happening more and more. Um, It's... I would be very interested. Boomer, are there other organizations like headquarters that are actually publicizing some of this information? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think before I answer that one, let me, let me, if I could just say one more thing about the posting of um, offenses. I, I think it's important to note that the Texas language, talk, language talks about adjudicated hazing related offenses. Mm-hmm. I think that's important because um there could be a lot of situations where there's an investigation and there is no finding of guilt or there's a finding of innocence. Um, and there is a debate or question whether or not that needs to be posted or not. Right. Um, so I, I do think that adjudicated cases are important and I do think it should be for all student organizations, not just fraternities and sororities, Mm -hmm, um, particularly in Texas, there's uh, organizations that are fraternity-like, but not fraternities, um, that are any club sports team, rugby or whatever, or bands that, that might uh, have um, not just hazing-related offenses, but any conduct-related uh, offenses that should be posted on the website if they're adjudicated and found guilty. Um, and I don't know that if I was an 18-year-old, I would have had the foresight to go on there and, and look. But I know my parents would have, and I hope yes. I am would as a parent. So yeah. whoever looks, I think it's good to have it out there. Now, to answer your question about organizations, I do know a little bit about this. We had to do that. We did this for five years at uh, when I was at SAE. It's a very, very good question, right? I mean, we really want this transparency pieces for a university setting. Uh, but I, I do think that fraternities need to be, uh, if they do this, they need to look into it and they need to be. Uh, very thorough with uh, their planning of this. The only downside I could see is sometimes uh, a media, sometimes the media might uh, put together a narrative that isn't necessarily there. So if you put all your offenses on there, you had a one minor in possession in, in one of your chapters, uh, that counts as an offense, right? And it put your chapter in social probation. And then the 
the somebody goes on your website and says, wow, look at this. Lamb Kai had 75 incidences in the past three years combined. Well, you know, we ha- if we have 100 chapters over three years, um, you know, that's 25 a year. And, you know, of the 25, 20 of them involved a total of 35 people. I'm just making numbers up. Right? Sure. But I'm just saying that's a nuance there that might get lumped into Lambda Chi Alpha having a bigger problem than they really do. Yeah, because um, they're, they're really not stretching. the. They're not lying. They're just not divulging all of the information and not mm-hmm. getting as detailed as they need to. Um, so I, I think that's a, a very valid point because it's very easy to uh, construe the numbers and, and change the information enough to fit your narrative without lying about the information there. Yeah. Right. And quite frankly, in, in defense of the journalism uh, community is there isn't a lot of time for nuance and there isn't a lot of time for that in much of today's immediate Twitter like um, atmosphere. Right. Um, So I would, I would hope that they would say, okay, let me dig deeper into this, but that's not going to be the case most of the time. So uh, I think it's valuable for, um, a fraternity it's just it's just difficult right because when you have a university setting that is a enclosed environment for that silo university of xyz lambda kai has all these chapters all over the country and they're all different and um and so while we hope that they all live up to the same values the culture of each chapter is different and while there is a little bit of that on a host institution, for the most part, the culture at that host institution will be similar for everyone there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes it the reporting a little bit more tricky. But uh, I've had a few fraternities reach out to me and talk to me about it. I think more and more are looking into doing this in some sort of fashion. Um, and so I think, uh, as was mentioned earlier, very astutely, this is becoming more and more of a, uh, of a, of a norm and a practice and one that I think is probably a positive. Yeah. And it's a protection thing. It's it's saying like, here's all of our cards on the table. This is what we've done. And here's how we're working to fix it. Right. Correct. It, especially when you're working to fix it. It does tell a positive story. Yes. I mean, ultimately, our young men in our case, right, are, are the, the members of Lambda Chi Alpha are going to have to, it's their actions, right? I mean, but what are we doing to create a positive environment? And if something did happen, what are we doing to correct that environment? Mm-hmm. And I would say Lambda Chi Alpha does a really great job of sort of nipping that in the bud. And I think, Alyssa, you're a huge part in making sure that our members are exemplifying the values regarding these things very well. And I think on this, uh, on this transparency piece, there actually is a federal law that um, has been introduced in the House. It's H.R. 3267. It's called uh, the End All Hazing Bill, and it's the Education Notification and Disclosure of Actions, uh, Risking Loss of Life, End All Hazing Act. Mm. Uh, There's currently around 16 bipartisan co-sponsors in the House, um, and it was recently introduced in a bipartisan fashion in the Senate. It's uh, Senate Bill uh, 2711. And it already has four bipartisan co-sponsors. Um, Senator Cassidy from Louisiana, which you might expect. Uh, Casey from Pennsylvania, which you might expect. Uh, but uh, we also got, um, we also got, I believe, Senator Warren from Massachusetts, Portman from Ohio, 
in Brown from Ohio. So math was never on my subject, but um, it's actually five. It's up to five. So um, those can be followed if you're into uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you can go online, HR 3267 or uh, Senate Bill 2711 because they add sponsors every day. And basically the end all hazing uh, or end all hazing act is that transparency piece that makes universities and colleges have to do this website piece. Um, and it will be uniform across the board, uh, which would be, which would be a positive, but it would really help parents and, and young men and women make a more informed decision about any student organization they're joining. Uh, if there's a conduct history there. So this is across the board, you said. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So keep an eye on that. Yeah, we, for sure we will. So let's get a little bit more into the laws in Florida and Louisiana. Cause that's kind sure. of what we really wanted to talk about today. Um, so let's talk about Florida a little bit. Can you sort of explain sure. kind of in bulk, just what this new law represents and what it says? So like the Texas law went in, uh, was signed in June, uh, Florida governor DeSantis signed the bill, I think June 25th, this past, um, summer. And it goes in, it went into effect, I believe on December 1st, there are some noteworthy changes in Florida. Um, uh, most importantly, the definition of hazing was greater, uh, more, more defined, um, so you can go, you can go to S it was SB 1080 to find the definition. Um, but it was more tuned in to, uh, be specific about what hazing is or isn't. It does expand both felony and misdemeaning hate, excuse me, felony and misdemeanor hazing, um, to include when a person solicit others to commit or is actively involved in the planning of hazing. So not just doing it, but planning it, right? Um, you know, and, the president is seemingly always out of town when these things happen. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Well, Florida's saying that, um, okay, those of you that were, even if you weren't there, if you were involved in planning it, you can still be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty ins- important, uh, distinction to the Florida. Yeah, that's law. big. Right. So um, Boomer, how could that relate to, um, so maybe not active planning, but what if it came up at a chapter meeting and I'm just sitting there listening and right. it can be proven that that happened? Could I be responsible? Um, well, this is the first time I get to say it depends. Uh, and, um, but in theory, yes. <laughs> um, and that goes for advisors as well. Um in theory. Sure. So you need to be ever vigilant in this. I would argue everywhere, but specifically in the state of Florida, if you hear something like this, you mu- you should and must act in order to, to make sure it doesn't happen or do your best to make sure it doesn't happen. That could be a variety of different things. Um, but yes, if you're sitting in a chapter meeting, and they're talking about Big Brother night, and it doesn't sound above table, then everyone in that meeting might be held responsible now in Florida and potentially could be, even if you don't attend Big Brother night. Wow. It's not enough to just not show up, right? Mm-hmm. And I think 
that sort of brings me to a point that I had written down along when we first started talking about this topic is like we have to look at the fine print of all of this stuff, especially if you're in the states that have changed these laws, because you could just sit there and say like, well, I mean, I wasn't a part of it. Like I didn't I wasn't there. But, you know, if you're in Florida, you're going to be held responsible because you knew it was happening and you didn't do anything about it. Right. Potentially, yes. Let's, mm-hmm. Potentially, of let's, course. Let's run a hypothetical here for a second. So, Uh-oh. I know, right? They, it always get, it always gets <laughs> dicey, but I'm I'm just curious. So, say something like that, Big Brother Night gets brought up in chapter, um, and say I'm one of the only people in the chapter who voice a concern about this, um, but I have them record in the minutes that, like Michael Covert, doesn't agree with this, and and. Like will will not be in attendance, but his voice is concerned, and, and so on and so forth. Like, is that a, is that enough? And this is probably a, it depends, but I, I'm just trying to think of ways uh, that somebody who because it's usually not everyone who agrees with what is happening for the most part. And, and so, how, how do you help yourself? Uh, that is a great question. That I think um, I don't think they give a lot of guidance on. Mm-hmm. I could very well be wrong on that. Uh, wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong. Probably not the first time on this podcast, but I don't think that, I don't think they give a lot of guidance on that specifically. I think the intent is that that would not be enough, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you should do that. And I hope we are creating an environment to encourage our members when the vast majority of them are good members mm-hmm. to stand up and say, whatever the issue is, no, that's not acceptable. That's not good enough. But I don't think saying just put that in a minute, let the records reflect that I am against this. I don't think that's would be sufficient in the eyes of the Florida law. Sure. Um, this will have to play out, unfortunately, um, in in real life. But I think the intent is to, to actively seek out help in that situation okay. to stop it from happening. Um, whether that's go to your – this is, again – thinking on the fly here, hypothetical, go to your advisor who then puts a stop to it. Right. And then notifies the headquarters that this is going on. And, and maybe there needs to be a, um, an education <laughs> a teachable moment about how that could have gone bad mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe something harsher. Right. But sure. uh, as far as a, a punishment or an education session goes, but I do believe the intent is to be a little more active. Than okay. Just let the record show sure. that I I kind of have a follow up question to what you just said. So if you're someone say that you might not have the answer to this, you might say it depends. But, you know, you're sitting in the meeting. What if you don't say anything, but you do go to your advisor and you're like, hey, I want to stay anonymous. I don't want anyone to get mad at me. What? Uh, I don't think you have to uh, tweet out the fact that this is going on in the meeting and I am against it. I think that if you actively sought again. I'm not a lawyer and I don't live in Florida. If I was just coaching someone, I think that my guidance would be, look, if, if the most effective way to keep this from happening is to, to pull someone aside that is in a position of leadership to say, Hey, we need help with this before it happens. I think that would be a great step. And that is something not just with hazing, but with a lot of issues, if we could cultivate more of that, um, 
y'all would have a lot more fun topics to discuss in your podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important here to talk about, you know, who are the folks that you can count on, hopefully, um, you know, whether it be a chapter advisor, um, if you can, again, what Boomer said is great. If you can leverage members of your height Zeta uh, to help put a stop to this, but also there's nothing stopping you from going to your paternity sorority life advisor, um, calling me, calling your educational leadership consultant, calling anyone at headquarters. Yeah. Um, you know, if we can can learn about things on the front end, we can potentially fix something before it gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, a, we have a successful track record of doing that um, when when we are able. Yeah, and I think, I think the one thing I would say to at least our membership is that our first reaction is not to close the chapter if something's wrong. If you report something, we want to assist you in any capacity that you, we can. Um, and honestly, like going back to the Good Samaritan, like we, we want to look into that. Like you stepped forward, you came to help, um, and, and you're, you're requesting assistance from us, and, and we're willing to step in and help if need be to assist you in whatever situation that's going on. That is, that is what we are here for. Mm-hmm. And, and I think two things. One, there is a good Samaritan policy included in the new Florida law, okay. right? Because they understand the importance of making that phone call and not and eliminating any barriers of fear of retribution that a person might have that would prevent them from making that phone call. But secondly, and I'll say this too, as, as again, kind of coaching up our, our men and women, the truth's going to come out in a deposition. And so it is, and, and is that it is absolutely a heartbreaking scenario for all sides. And we've been a part of those, the, the, the people who, who are members of the chapter and then God forbid the parents, when you're talking about a loss of their, of their son or daughter, but just even without that, it's, it's a, it's a, it's going to come out. Whatever the punishment or corrective course of action or education session or whatever the case may be that comes out before the incident occurs will not be near as bad as what happens after the incident occurs. And so um, getting our young men and women in our organizations to realize that seeking help and asking for the guidance and the the power to do the right thing before something happens is, is crucial. And that is where we need to be not because whatever happens afterwards is going to be a lot worse. Absolutely. Um, Definitely. And I guess before we jump a little further West to Louisiana, I I do, I know this is a state by state answer. um, But just in general, I I think it's important to know what can happen um, to somebody who is involved in hazing. Um, I think some people think it may be a slap on the wrist or or things like that. But I think there's so much more that goes into it. And there's so much more that can happen to you um, if you're involved in, in acts of hazing. Right. Well, that's that's a great point. And um, speaking about Louisiana specifically, uh, when I talked with Mr. Groover about it, he informed me that in Louisiana, it was a, a stiffer penalty to have a certain amount of chickens or too many chickens than it was for hazing mm-hmm. prior to. Wow. Um, the incident with his son and what states are doing and what, um, 
I, as a very small part, helped to do was stiffen those or tried to stiffen those penalties mm-hmm. and separate out felony and misdemeanor hazing. So, for instance, I had a and, and again, I say I, I don't mean me specifically, just it's easier to say that for my past job. We ha- we had a state hazing model that separated the felony and misdemeanor, had automatic triggers for felony. So, for instance, if your BAC was over a certain level, and let's say everyone survived and um, there was no death, et cetera, you could still be charged and will be automatically triggered to a felony hazing if someone had a high enough BAC or if there was risk serious bodily injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to take that, we were trying to take that state to state to make that very clear that let's say you're, there's a big brother night and someone goes to the hospital because they had a 0.27 BAC, they survive, praise be to God, but um, that incident still occurred then that would be a higher punishment for a potential punishment for hazing than, uh, than if the BAC was lower. Does that make sense? Definitely. Um, and I think that's important <laughs> to know because most States are following that to some degree. Florida did the same felony hazing occurs. Uh, if there's a permanent injury, serious bodily injury. And again, that's the phrase or death of such other person, mm-hmm. you would be charged with felony. Misdemeanor hazing occurs when hazing creates a substantial risk or of physical injury or death to such other person, right? So it's it's not quite as specific as what we are trying to get pushed, but they do separate it out. And each state has different fines, generally, and jail time for that, but they're all increasing now. Uh, the fines are increasing and the jail time is increasing. And I think that's a good segue to Louisiana, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, because what we saw in Louisiana was those few members of a fraternity who were arrested last school year, and there was no death. There was no serious injury. Word got out about hazing that was going on, and because of the new law uh, that the Groovers helped push uh, get passed through in Louisiana, those members were carted off to jail, essentially, if not literally, from their fraternity house. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a very eye-opening, it should be a very eye-opening, uh, situation for a community when there was no death in this situation, but this law carted, I think six people off to jail. Well, and I think it's important to know that hazing should not be tolerated. Um, it, it is something that people need to be held accountable for, because like you said, there could be loss of life. You could seriously take somebody else's life because you thought it was a good idea to haze them. And I think that is so unfortunate that this is still occurring. And even with Lambda Kyle's perspective for over 30 years, we have said, we have said we've eliminated hazing. We're, tr- we're trying to keep it out of our chapters. We got rid of pledges, like all of these different things and it's still occurring. And I just, it drives me absolutely insane that you think that's a good idea to put somebody in some mental or physical discomfort to the point that you have the potential to take their life. Like, and, and honestly, like, I, I think the punishment is deserved. I think they need to go to jail um, because that, is, that just should, should not be tolerated at all. And it's not even, it's not just about the deaths, which um, are just heartbreaking. And there's yeah. just no other word for it. Um, I mean, I can't, I, I love the Groovers and the Chazas and Rich. I, I mean, but I can't look at them and not just, and I didn't know their sons. But I can't look at them and not just feel absolutely heartbroken for what's happened to them. 
Yeah. They'll never be the same, but it's not just about that. Right. I mean, so many of our young men and women, they're all carrying their own burdens and we don't know what those are. And we don't know probably because we haven't taken the time to really get to know them in an honest and, and, and healthy fashion. Um, and we don't know what's going to trigger them. Right. We don't know what's going to send them down some spiral or whatever. And so it's, it's the hazing that the mental hazing, that leaves scars and they may not even see those scars for years down the road, but, um, and the division that it causes, um, you know, look, I will, I will go on this hill and I will fight on this hill for as long as I, I can that, um, I 100% agree with you on those, on those points. Um, but it's, it's, as they used to say 15 years ago, so it's capital H hazing and it's lowercase H hazing. It's, it's, it can all snowball into something catastrophic and we cannot determine as outside folks where that line is. Um, and so it's just, it needs to not be there at all. Yeah. And what you said sort of reminded me of something that people would often tell me, uh, uh, you know, about hazing when I was joining a sorority, they said, well, it's about the bond. Like that's how you create the bond. And I think it's such a sad thing that, people believe you need to create a bond by being mean in that way. And I think mean is a light way to put it. I mean, you're, you are hurting these people in a way that is going to affect them probably for the rest of their lives. I think and, and this you, might be a, a terrible analogy, but to your point, um, it was, it was inspiring to some degree to see the way the Houston com, uh, community rallied around each other after they had the hurricane what was it a year or so ago? Right. Uh, maybe two years ago now. Um, but don't you wish they would have not had to have to go through that to get there? Sure. Right. And, and unfortunately, obviously we can't do anything necessary about that, but just there are other ways to, to build that bond without going through those horrible situations. But we don't want to take the time to do that because it's, it's meaningful it's it leaves you vulnerable. Um, it takes time and, um, you had it done to you. So you're going to do it to somebody else. Right. And, um, that's why we're having this conversation today. You know, boomer bringing that up. It's, there's just, I, I recently had to do the fraternal health and safety initiatives, um, hazing prevention module with oh, sure. one of our chapters. Um, and, one of the things when you get to talking about bonding in that programming is that actually folks who have been hazed, so there's data that tells us that individuals who've been hazed have a relationship to their hazers that is equivalent to a child to their uh, abusive parent. Um, sure. it's, it's basically kind of a Stockholm syndrome. And when I was talking with the specific chapter about that, it was just very eye-opening because as we got more vulnerable in the space, you know, all of the men were like, that's not what we want. Like, I don't want someone to be bonded to me out of fear mm -hmm. or necessity to escape punishment. Um, I, I want them to be bonded to me because of what we experience together as brothers and our ritual and, um, you know, in our chapter activities and the fun things we get to do together, not because we went through hell, essentially, together. Right. 
Yeah, I got yeah, chills I mean, when there, you said that. <laughs> there, there's no question. Um, the guy that I look up to the most that I have strived to be like since the day I accepted my invitation into the organization um, was the truest gentleman I have ever met. And to this day, he remains that way. Uh, I'm fortunate, and oddly enough, he lives a few miles down the road. Um, but, um, and I don't mind saying McLean Fowler was always that guy for me. He was the one that I, I said, if, you know, I'm sure he's not perfect, but he seemed like it to an 18-year-old freshman. And he was that way because he always seemed to be a gentleman. And um, those are the people that you remember, and those are the people that you should try to emulate. I, I think that's a great point. One of the one of my brothers I helped recruit and, and now is one of my best friends, Evan Sears. Um, he was president for two terms and we were roommates for the majority of my college career. And honestly, he was a leader out of love and compassion and was just such a genuine individual um, and would care about uh, every single person, and every interaction that he had. And and like I said, one, he's such a great person, my best friend. We hang out as much as we can when I'm back home. And, and so um, it's one of those things where like, that is such a, a great way to build a bond. And it's a bond I, I don't think I will ever not have in my life. Um, and, and so like, that's really what made a, a better connection for me than out of like the fear and, and uh, whatever else that comes with hazing and, and, and creating a bond that way. And I think this, we're, you know, this is sort of almost an entirely another podcast, right? Um, and so I, I kind of, I have a lot, I would love to say about that uh, a lot about the way I was raised and uh, my parents and my father, who to this day is one of my heroes that uh, led me to the situation to where I would walk away. I would never put up with that. Right. But unfortunately uh, I'm privileged in that regard and a lot of people aren't. And so they'll do anything to, um, to be a part of a, of a, someone that makes them feel validated, which is a legitimate feeling, right? Definitely. But unfortunately, they'll do anything, like I said. And that could mean not only will they drink what's in front of them, they'll drink what's in front of their brothers and because they want to so desperately be a part of something. Um, and that's where you lead to tragedy. But again, that's almost a whole nother podcast. So to, to sort of bring it back to Louisiana, because there are some important changes in Louisiana law, um, that I think your members and your alumni need to be aware of. Um, one of the changes, so Texas, and I could be wrong on this. I believe Texas, you were always supposed to report hazing. I'm not sure how well that was enforced. Just organizations and, and anyone when they universities and colleges, when they heard of hazing, I believe it was supposed to be reported to authorities. I'm not entirely sure that was enforced in the past. Louisiana put that in their law over a year ago when they, the Max Groover situation happened, they put it in that everyone had to report hazing if they heard it. Now there is a difference between when that law came through and the law that was went into effect, uh, August one of this year it was signed in mid June as well, just like the other two laws. Um, in the first iteration of this law in Louisiana, you had, you, Lambda Chi Alpha, had 14 days to investigate a hazing situation, and then they had to turn over the hazing results to law enforcement. They have removed that 14-day window, and now you must turn over any hazing information you have 
to law enforcement. I believe the words specific or specifically are as soon as practical under the circumstances. So that's, that's very, very important. So if your advisor uh, hears of hazing, according to the letter of the law, he is then supposed to turn that over. He or she is then supposed to turn that over to law enforcement as is the school. Um, and then it, it's a little, it, it goes into students as well, but uh, they're really looking at the leadership, the, the quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, the adult leadership. And I, and I know that I don't mean to be demeaning to the students, I mean, they're adults as well, but uh, the alumni leadership is probably the better way to put it in the, in the university and host institution leadership that they are to turn over any information on hazing as soon as practical in circumstances. So as um, soon as practical, how, how would you interpret that? What exactly does that even mean? That's a great question. Uh, my interpretation would be just my interpretation. And, and uh, I hesitate to give it because it may not be Louisiana's interpretation. I do think that is somewhat problematic in, with the writing of the law. I think I understand what they're trying to get across. Um, that may need to get marked up and redone. Uh, I'm assuming Louisiana, is, they don't come back for a quote unquote fall session. I'm, I'm assuming they'll come back in the spring. Most will come back in January. Texas is the only one that Texas meets for like an hour and a half and then they're done for two years. I think it's uh, like January through May and then they're done for 18 months. Uh, Louisiana, I believe, meets more than that. I'm assuming they'll come back in, in January. Um, and if they if they do, it may need to be marked up then. I don't know. To be a little more defined as what that means. But I hesitate to give you an answer because that is a good question. I think from our perspective, just not speaking about Louisiana, just thinking about reporting incidents to the Office of Administration or International Headquarters, what that means to us is as soon as humanly possible, I would rather get the call on, you know, the voicemail on my phone, the the email coming through, you know, very early in the morning, very late at night, what have you, um, so that, you know, we can respond to it if it's urgent um, or, you know, the, the next morning at minimum is, is kind of the precedent we set. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would much rather get something rather than than letting it sit and fester for for a couple days, a yeah. couple weeks, right. sometimes a couple months. Um yeah. and and you know, we in dealing with certain situations. So um just and as I soon remember, as you can get to someone, just get to someone. Absolutely. And I remember reading articles about this and I believe the rationale behind removing the 14-day investigation window is is A, to get to the source as soon as possible, and B, to stop anyone from potentially circling the wagons or coming up with stories, right? Yeah. Um, but again, it's also, again, the information goes to law enforcement, not necessarily the school, but also the schools held to the same timeline, excuse me, timeline and standard of timely reporting. So, the host institution has to do it as well. And in fact, the host institution is required to provide more documentation to law enforcement if they receive notification. But um, I think the argument could be made uh, that's going to become extremely burdensome to law enforcement. The argument might be made this might provide a barrier for people to come forward. Um, I think all those things will have to play out. But um, 
you know, the idea here is to get this information in the hands of the law enforcement and let them make a decision. Yeah. And I think what makes this conversation so hard, it's that it's, it's different for every state. Sure. Yes. And it's, it's so hard to say exactly what something means in every single situation because it, it's different. It just really is. And I think that's where I would empower our members to really look at the laws in their state and understand them on a deep level because it's something that they need to know about. I mean, obviously, I I hope that none of our chapters w- would even have to deal with something like this, but it happens and you need to be aware of what's going on Definitely. and what could potentially happen to you if you get caught up. Sure. And there's also a greater education requirement in the state of Louisiana, as well as documentation on the hazing education requirement. So that's something they should look into. Specific- I mean, look, it's easy for me to say, well, all of our organizations educate our men and women on hazing, and they should. And for the most part, they do, right? But there are some new requirements in Louisiana about making sure that happens, who gets it, and how mu- and how it's documented, too. So they need to look out for that as well. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. So we've covered a lot of topics. Um, so what I want to do is I want to go around real quick and just final thoughts. Um, and we can start with myself, but just want to do final thoughts. What What is your last piece of information you want to give out? And my biggest one, and I mentioned already, is is you should leave or you should lead and you should um, build relationships based on love, trust, compassion, caring. Um, and I, I, that's going to go a lot further than um trying to build a relation on on hazing or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. Melissa? I think is, uh, I tell a lot of our our members, uh, we have a very broad hazing policy um, and that's, that's intentional. Um, But if, if it seems funny, if it seems funky, if it seems off, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And if you're not comfortable with what's going on in your chapter, please give us a call. Yeah, and if you have to ask yourself if this is hazing, mm-hmm. um, it, it probably, probably is. is. Yeah, that was mine. It was oh, <laughs> darn. <laughs> How horrible! But yeah, I was just gonna say, like, if even if a part of you is like, I don't know if we should, why are we doing that? It it's probably not sh- something that you should be doing. Definitely, Boomer. Yeah. Final thoughts. Yeah, I just got two. One's practical, one's philosophical. The practical piece is, I would ask all. Um, all, all the land guys out there to keep their eyes on the higher ed reauthorization bill coming out of uh, the federal level legislation. Um, that's probably not what y'all expected to hear, but the reason why you want to keep an eye out for it, if it happens in the next uh, year and a half or so is because there might very well be uh, end all hazing and the reach act, which is, we didn't really touch on. It's an amendment to the Cleary act, but hazing related legislation rolled up into the higher ed reauthorization bill, uh, among other issues that might affect us as, as, uh, fraternity and sorority men and women, uh, like the collegiate freedom association act, all those acts may be tied up in the higher ed reauthorization. So while you might not have cared about the bill before, it might actually directly impact, uh, your life, your fraternity life. So keep an eye out for it. Um, you know, try to, when you hear something come up about the higher ed reauthorization, it'll be a massive bill, but there might be some very specific parts that affect our fraternity and sorority lives. Definitely. 
Now, the philosophical point is there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And um, I would much rather take the chances of getting in trouble for picking up the phone and calling 911 than having to face the fact that had I called 911, I would have saved this life. Um, Now, again, we've talked about many instances where people in states are trying to remove that barrier and and make it uh, make reassure you to call 911. But I just want to say to all the Lamakais out there, if you see someone who has had too much or looks like they had too much or think they've had, I mean, any, any degree of over-intoxication, no matter how minor it may seem, certainly if it's more severe, don't just roll them on their side and tell them they'll sleep it off. Um, too many well, I believe, well-intentioned brothers have thought that before and it's just led to tragic incidents. It's hazing or related or not. Uh, call 911, get them help immediately. Um, and if they get mad at you 48 hours later because they had to go to the hospital, so be it. They'll get over it and be thankful that you can you can have that opportunity. So yeah. just please, please, please don't ever hesitate to call 911 and get help. At least they're alive to get mad at you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, Boomer, thank you for being here to talk to us about this. It was really helpful to get your input. Well, it was, it was my pleasure. Um, I hope I uh, was satisfactory and, and, and gave you what you were looking for. Again, um, I'm doing a lot of this off memory from, from months and months ago. So the best thing to do is is look up the bills in those states. And if you need any of that information, you can you can reach me uh, my email at blaine, B-L-A-I-N-E, at jrfco.com. Mm-hmm. And Alyssa, thank you for being here, too, to talk to us about Lambda Chi Alpha. Absolutely. Well, great. So on behalf of myself, Mike, Jaron, and everyone at IHQ, have a good one. Breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law.